Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Holy God, word made flesh, let us come to this word open to being surprised. Silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our casual detachment, confound our expectations, clear the cobwebs from our ears, penetrate the corners of our hearts with this word. We know that you can, we pray that you will, and we wait with great anticipation. Amen. The first lesson today from the Old Testament is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 17 to 22, and it will be found on page 788 of the Pew Bible. Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 17 through 22. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pastor. pasture. When you drink of clear water, must you foul the rest with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what they have fouled with your feet? Therefore, says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak, at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. The word of the Lord. I'm going to save the reading of the New Testament lesson for a few moments yet. Last week in worship, Ken Kim had a wonderful sermon on the uh, or, uh, um, anointing of David to be the new king of Israel to follow Saul. 
seeing many similarities with the new pastor coming in and uh, different things that we can expect to change. The sermon captured my attention, but um, one of the passages Kim wasn't preaching on directly also caught my attention, and as I heard it read, I thought that would be a good passage to deal with next week. It was from 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, the 10th verse, where we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. It's very similar to another passage Paul wrote to the Romans in the 10th, uh, or chapter 14, rather, when he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. Now, in spite of those verses and others similar to them, in every church I've served, I have found a pretty large contingent of people who believe that because they happen to be believers and because they have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they can skip judgment. That judgment doesn't really apply to them. They will escape it and its consequences. It is true that uh, Paul would write also to the Romans saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't negate the fact that there will be judgment. Condemnation, no. Judgment, yes. Each of us will have to account before God of what we have done and what we have refused to do in light of what has been entrusted to us and the opportunities that have been placed before us. What do you think about this? Do you think you'll have to give an accounting of your life? Well, in spite of what you or I may think personally, in spite of what even the Apostle Paul may think, a better question is what would Jesus think? That's the higher authority. What would Jesus say about this? Does he expect each of us to have to account for the lives that we have lived? Well, he deals with this in Matthew, the 25th chapter, a very familiar passage. I'm going to read it to you now. Verse, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of His angels are with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty, and you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed Me. I was naked, and you gave Me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of Me. I was in prison, and you visited Me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? When is it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. They also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If I had only known, if we had only known, we would have done a lot of things differently, wouldn't we? Those are sad words. How many times in the course of a week do you or someone you're around say, if I'd known, I would have done thus and so, or I would not have done thus and so, if I had only known. If I'd known sooner what I came to know later, my actions would have been far different. If I had known that your feelings would be hurt, I would have invited you to join us for lunch. If I had known that she was attracted to me, I would have asked her out years ago. <laughs> if I had known that smoking cigarettes could cause lung cancer, I never would have stopped, started smoking. If I had known that she was your friend, I wouldn't have said what I did about Alice. If I had known you were coming, I would have baked a cake. If I'd only known that God had saved me so that he could put me to work in his kingdom, so that he could use me. If I'd only known that my gifts, my talents, my tongue, my, my help, my money could make a difference in someone's life, I would have, what? What would you have done differently if you had known sooner? Would you have been more generous with your money, with your time and your talents? Would you have tutored that child who's struggling in school? Would you have visited that lonely widow that lives down the street by herself? Would you have answered the call for volunteers to teach in the Sunday school? It's been issued several times. Would you have signed up for Tuesday's distribution of clothing to children in need through the Hands of Christ ministry that we are sponsoring on Tuesday of this week? Would you have gone on that mission trip instead of the golf trip with your buddies if you'd only known what difference it might have made in your life or in someone else's life? Would you have spoken out against an obvious injustice? Would you have defended the child at school who was being bullied? Would you have defended that colleague at work who was an object of nasty gossip? What would you really have done differently had you only known? Those are sad words. If I had only known. If we had only known. And then comes the retort. Well, why didn't you know? You have eyes to see. You have ears to hear. You could have known. No, you should have known. But so often isn't it the case that we see and hear only what we want to see or hear what we would rather see or hear. So one day Jesus tells this parable of the last judgment, a very disturbing parable. 
The Son of Man is seated on his throne, and all the people of the earth are brought before him. And he begins to separate the sheep to his right hand, the goats to his left hand. The sheep are approved because they've cared. They reached out, they ministered to people. Even, Jesus says, unto him, incognito. And the goats are judged and sent to eternal damnation because they did nothing to reach out to help others, even Jesus. The interesting thing about this parable is that everybody who's judged is surprised. The righteous are surprised. When, Lord, did we see you? We didn't know we were ministering unto you when we clothed that person or fed that person or cared for that person. Didn't have any idea that was you. No, if you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. Likewise, the goats, they began scratching their heads and gawking and saying, no, Lord, we never passed you by. We didn't, we didn't see you hungry or needing clothing or in prison. We, we, we didn't see. That wasn't us. Oh, no, it was me because inasmuch as you didn't do it for one of these, you didn't do it for me. Scary words. I don't like this parable. My wife asked me on Friday, what are you preaching on Sunday? I said, the parable of the sheep and the goat. She said, I hate that parable. I don't like it either, but it's there. you got to deal with it. But it makes all of us would-be sheep a bit nervous when we think of all the good we might have done, all the evil we could have avoided or prevented, perhaps, if we'd only known later what uh, we wish we had known earlier. Of course, it's easy to justify or rationalize our lack of compassion our inactivity in God's work and in God's kingdom. It's easy for us to say, well, no one has time or money or energy enough to do everything. True enough, but everyone has time, energy, and money enough to do something. When I was going over this sermon last night, I saw some familiar words of Helen Keller, the blind and deaf person of the 20th century that lived such an amazing life. And she said on one occasion, I am only one but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I will do. I wonder how many of us in the church of Jesus Christ today can say those same words. Are we sheep or goats? Do we respond to the needs around us, recognizing we may be serving Jesus Christ himself? Or do we ignore them? You see, if we had only known that that person needing our help was Jesus in disguise, we would have responded differently, wouldn't we? I'm sure that if the heavens opened up this afternoon and we heard a voice saying, This is God your Father and my Son is coming back in the flesh tomorrow and someone's going to give him a new school uniform. I wonder how many volunteers would have to work at Hands of Christ tomorrow. I bet everybody here would. If you heard that this afternoon, you'd be here Tuesday to help out. We need some 75 volunteers, I think, to serve the children. But the point being, who is being helped determines whether or not there's any help being given. One day when he was vice president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson was traveling on horseback. He was going through Baltimore, Maryland. He was tired, he was dirty, he was exhausted. 
weary from the road trip on the horse. So he stopped at the main hotel in Baltimore, Maryland, went in and told the innkeeper he'd like a room. The innkeeper, thinking that he was just a dirty, exhausted farmer that had wandered into town, said, I'm sorry, we don't have any rooms available. Jefferson thought that he'd misheard him because there were not many people in town, so he asked again. He said, no, I have no room for you here. So Jefferson left. This is according to uh, uh, presidential anecdotes by Paul Bowler. But apparently someone came into the hotel later and said, I understand you may be having the president, Vice President of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, staying here tonight. So said, what are you talking about? He said, that man that came in here, rode his horse into town, that was Vice President Thomas Jefferson. Well, the innkeeper was horrified and embarrassed, so he sent a servant to try to track Jefferson down, found him somewhere later, and went up to him and said, uh, you can come back to the hotel, you'll have the best of everything, a room will be available for you. And according to Bowler, Jefferson replied, tell your, the innkeeper that I, while I value his good intentions highly, if he has no room for a dirty farmer, he will have none for the vice president of the United States. You see, who is being helped often shapes whether or not we're giving any help. Kind of reminds me of another innkeeper some 2,000 years ago. You know, if he had only known Maybe he would have responded differently. Whether we were there or not, whether we were alive or not, and we weren't, none of us were, but still, something that happened on April the 15th, 1912, is embedded in our memory bank. All across America, everyone thinks about this. Not because it's tax day, that's tragedy enough, but there was another tragedy on the 15th of April in 1912. It was the sinking of the Titanic captured the imagination of Americans. There have been books written about it, movies made about it. There's even a musical that was on Broadway called Titanic. It was a tragic event. Nearly 1,500 people lost their lives that night. Over 2,200 were on the boat. According to Walter Lord's book, The Night Lives On, this tragic event was made even more tragic when one realizes a conversation that was taking place nearby on the deck of a ship. Because when the Titanic sank into the frigid waters of the North Atlantic, there were two other ships in that part of the ocean. The Carpathia was another passenger liner. It was 58 miles away at the time the distress signal was issued. It, there was another ship called the Californian, a cargo ship, that was only 19 miles away. The commander of the Carpathia was a man by the name of Arthur Rostrum, a very devout man, a man of prayer. And when he received the, uh, the distress signal, he ordered immediately the changing of the course of his boat. And he proceeded as fast as he could through the frozen waters of the Atlantic. It would have taken ordinarily about four hours to get there, but because he increased speed at great risk to his boat, he got there in three and a half hours. And he was able to pick up what survivors there were, some 833 people. But closer to the Atlantic and the site of the tragedy, there was this other ship, the Californian. And according to Lord's book, there was a conversation taking place on the deck. One of the men was an officer, Herbert Stone. The other man was an apprentice by the names of James Phillips, I think. 
Anyway, they are on the deck of their ship observing the Titanic 15, uh, 19 miles away. And this is their conversation as Walter Lord records it. Through it all, Stone and Gibson talked, puzzled and pondered, sometimes differed over what they were actually watching. A ship is not going to fire rockets at sea for nothing, Stone observed, as the two men studied the other vessel. Gibson agreed. Stone added that there must be something the matter with her. Gibson again agreed and said it looked to him like she was in some sort of distress. Have a look at her now, Gibson, Stone said, as they continued to watch the strange ship still firing her rockets. She seems to look queer now. Gibson looked through his binoculars and said, she seems to have a big side out of the water. And he commented that the ship seemed to be listening to starboard and the lights on the afterdeck seemed to be higher than before. As they watched the strange ship, it began to disappear. They concluded that the ship was steaming off to the southwest. At 2.20 a.m., when the lights of the ship disappeared completely, they assumed that she had dropped below the horizon. It wasn't just the horizon she had dropped below. It was the surface of the frigid sea. If those two men had only known what they were seeing. Now, if you'd lost friends or relatives on the Titanic, you'd probably ask, well, why didn't they know? Should have known. They were trained seamen. They were looking right at it. Why do you think distress rockets were being fired in the air? Why didn't you respond? I had the same feeling last week with the sinking of the duck boat near Branson, Missouri. Could not that have been prevented somehow? Did no one know that this storm was headed their way with projection of 70 mile an hour wind gusts? If you had lost like one woman, woman, nine members of her family, three children and her husband, you'd probably be asking, well, why didn't they know? They should have known. The reaction of those two ships at the time of the sinking of the Titanic was not unlike the response of the sheep and the goats. The Carpathia, like the sheep, saw a need and did whatever they could in order to meet that need, even at great personal risk and peril to their ship. The Californian, like the goats, really wasn't sure what they were seeing, decided to wait before they got involved, and ended up doing nothing that cost countless lives. In the Presbyterian Church and in Reformed theology, we dare to believe that if you are saved, if you are a part of the elect, the reason you are saved is so that you can be put to work in the kingdom of God. So we say you're chosen not just for salvation, but for service. A lot of people worry about, am I really saved? They mean eternal salvation. How do I know, preacher, if I'm really saved? And one of my frequent responses is, well, look at your life. What are you doing? Because if you were saved, it would, you were saved so that you could be put to work. That's the way it's always been. Since God first called Abraham and the Jews, the Jews weren't chosen because they were better people than any other ancient nomadic group. They were chosen so that God could use them to reach out and be a blessing to all the families of the earth. If you're a part of the elect, then that's because God wants to use your talents, your tongue, your money, your resources, your life to make a difference in the world and in someone else's life. So are you a sheep or a goat? Are we as a church 
sheep or goats. Now, if you were planning when you get to the pearly gates to tell the Lord Jesus Christ, well, Lord, I just didn't know. I didn't know you could have used my gifts, my talents to make a difference. I didn't know you needed my money. I don't have that much money. I didn't know. Then Jesus is likely to say to you, yes, you did know too. Because you were sitting in Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church on July 29th. <laughs> and the preacher told you. So don't say you didn't know. You know. The only question is whether or not you responded like sheep or like goats. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.